AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thanks again for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate that. We'll today be taking a look at weather trends. We have harvest kind of on hold in many places because of wet weather right now. More wet weather expected to move across the country, across the Midwest. So what's the pattern setting up as we head to November to get this uh, last bit of harvest done, we'll talk with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. We're going to talk markets. We're going to talk economy, rising input costs uh, with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. And we'll take a break from harvest updates. We'll actually get a planting update today, winter wheat plantings in Kansas. We'll talk with Kansas Wheat CEO Justin Gilpin a little later on the program. And I'm going to have some thoughts in just a moment on... Uh, the challenges facing the group of beef producers going together to uh, really take on the packing industry and uh, kind of go on their own. I'll have some thoughts on that, kind of a comparison to what we saw several years ago in the ethanol industry. But first, uh, on the subject of biofuels, I want to bring in Paul Winters from the National Biodiesel Board because NBB has uh, signed on in a letter to congressional Democrats uh, asking them to keep support for biodiesel and bioheat fuel in this uh, budget reconciliation legislation that is being worked on. Paul, thank you for joining us. Specifically, what are you uh, asking of uh, the congressional leaders or at least reminding them of? Well, uh, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having us. Uh, so we are joining with the uh, the National Energy and Fuels Institute, which is based up in the, the Northeast. And we are trying to remind uh, congressional leaders that biodiesel is used to heat uh, uh, used as a heating fuel uh, fuel for about uh, six million homes in the Northeast and Mid Atlantic, uh, all the way from Maryland up to Maine. So. Um, these uh, heating oil dealers in the Northeast have made a, a commitment to uh, achieve net zero emissions by mid-century. This is in keeping with uh, the nation's goals for reducing carbon emissions, and they are looking to uh, increase use of biodiesel uh, and renewable diesel in heating oil throughout the industry. So uh, we are asking Congress to ensure that uh, there is extension of policies that are going to help this effort, uh, particularly extension of the biodiesel and renewable diesel tax incentive. Uh, we want to see the uh, biofuel infrastructure and agriculture product market expansion program launched, uh, which was included in the, the uh, House agriculture markup uh, for this uh, reconciliation package. And the uh, the bioheat industry is also looking uh, to be included in uh, tax incentives for energy-efficient residential property. They want uh, biofuel-compatible heating appliances to be included in that program. Yeah, a lot of times we talk about biodiesel, we think about it as a fuel for vehicles, but uh, we don't overlook the importance of bioheat. Uh, it's been a big uh, part of heating in the northeast as you pointed out the northeastern part of the country and a significant market for biodiesel producers so this is a certainly a key area all right paul we'll wait and see what happens with this budget reconciliation legislation thanks for the update thanks mike all right paul winters with the national biodiesel board all right uh just some thoughts about the group of beef producers planning to start their own packing plant uh, when i heard about that uh, I, I thought about a similar effort that took place several years ago. Back then, it was a group of corn farmers tired of not getting more value for their crops and wanting to do something about it. I, re I remember sitting in meetings as, as farmers discussed pooling their resources back then to build ethanol plants. It was a daunting challenge. It meant that they would be taking on big oil. Talk about underdogs. Despite overwhelming odds, though, those farmers took the chance and started building those ethanol plants. They were small at first, they later expanded and diversified. Big oil came after them with misinformation and scare tactics, still goes on today, but 
two big events changed the landscape and allowed that upstart ethanol industry to survive and eventually grow. The oil industry's own product, MTBE, was found to be a health hazard, leaving big oil in need of a replacement product. And then, of course, the passage of the renewable fuel standard requiring the use of renewable fuels, still under attack today, but still a very big part of uh, the renewable fuels industry. The ethanol industry has and continues to face major hurdles, but its history is a remarkable success story. The investment and courage of those early pioneers paid off. Now, not everyone succeeded, but overall, they created a domestic fuel industry that helped not only farmers, but rural communities as well. Plus, they helped our country greatly reduce its dependence on foreign countries for our energy. So what they did is nothing less than remarkable because the odds really stacked against them. Taking on big oil, producing a product that they were eventually going to need the oil industry to use. Wow, those were some huge challenges. Well now, beef producers are attempting to do something similar. So the question is, can they take on a very powerful competitor, opponent. This time it's the meat packing industry. And the odds seem to be stacked against these beef producers too. I mean, the odds are long. You're taking on a well-established and very well-funded competitor that certainly won't give up market share without a fight. So, as we compare the two, it won't be easy but we're reminded that most things worth doing aren't easy. It's risky for sure, just as it was for those corn farmers many years ago. No one gave them much of a chance, and now here they are, a major player in the fuel market. This story should serve as a reminder and offer hope. Success for underdogs is never guaranteed, and it won't be easy, but it is possible. We have seen it done. We have seen a group of farmers come together, pool their resources, seemingly limited, certainly limited compared to their competitors, but they made it. They, they had a couple big events work in their favor, but they were able to use those, capitalize, and move forward. It remains to be seen what happens with this venture with beef producers going together to take on the packing industry. Will they be successful? Time will tell. But again, they have a model to look at in the ethanol industry to remind them that it can be done. Yeah, these are big challenges that they will face, but farmers and ranchers take on challenges each and every day, and they've proven that they can overcome it. So we'll see what happens. It won't be easy, but it's, it could be a fascinating story to watch moving forward as we've seen the ethanol story over the years. All right, so we'll see. Coming up next, we're going to talk weather with the director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, Dennis Toddy. What are these trends as we go into November? We still have some harvest to get done. And what about the window for fall field work? That's important as well. We'll talk about those weather trends next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. 
peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, football in your favorite recliner. Some things work best in pairs. Enlisty 3 soybeans from Golden Harvest are no different. Our exclusive Enlisty 3 varieties have strong agronomics and disease tolerance for your conditions. Get yours from Golden Harvest today for a pairing that performs. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks displayed or otherwise used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company and List E3 Soybean Technology is jointly developed with Dow AgroSciences LLC and MS Technologies LLC. And List E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences LLC. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the foundation foundation fighting fighting blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, maybe you're waiting to finish up harvest maybe you're waiting to get some fall field work done what's the weather going to be like as we wrap up october and head into november what are the trends let's talk with dennis toddy director of the usda midwest climate hub dennis thanks for joining us uh after a stormy wet weekend and uh, more precipitation for many places predicted forecast for later this week uh how, how do we look here what's what's shaping up going into november well, what we got going right now is precipitation coming up out of the central plains into the central Midwest. So here in Ames, we're getting rain right now, and you know, up from Missouri, we're expecting to get you know possibly a couple inches of rain from Missouri into parts of Iowa. Out of this, uh, along the Ohio Valley, they could get you know another inch plus out of this also. Uh, but after this system passes through in the next couple days. Uh, it does finally turn quieter, and that's a good a good news for for many people, especially eastern corn belt folks who are still trying to get crops out. You know, northern corn belt made made good progress, and they've been slowed a bit, but they, they they're looking better from from this standpoint. As we look ahead into week two, um, you know, this takes us into into early part of November. We actually are going to have a a, a cool. Uh, a cool shot of air coming down that'll probably end, um, you know, most of the growing season, moving, uh, you know, moving below freezing in the eastern, you know, from Missouri to the eastern Corn Belt. We've not had sub-freezing temperatures. This probably will bring that along, that cold temperatures along, and you know, end gardens and, and things like that that are still on, or some people that may have some green and soybeans that may may take care of that for them. Uh, but then also it stays dry. Uh, the outlook still stayed dry overall. So that's, again, probably a positive given the recent precipitation we've had and the wetting of soils that we've had in a number of different places. And those cooler temperatures uh, could be key. Those wet areas, uh, they're waiting for the ground to firm up enough for them to be able to get back out there. So those temperatures, colder temperatures, could help. It, it definitely could. You know, and and. Soil temperatures are starting to find, take a turn finally. 
you know, we had some concerns a few weeks ago. We had some with the associated with the very warm temperatures. We had very warm soil temperatures, and people put in doing fall applications of, of nutrients and being really concerned because you know, it was too warm for, for for nitrogen being being out on the soils. So we are, uh, you know, generally the northern part of the Corn Belt down in Iowa. Uh, we're getting down to that 50 mark, and we're below that. That's a good thing. Um, so we'll continue that trend downwards. You know, the combination of shorter day lengths, uh, lower sun angle doesn't warm the soils up as much, and uh, you know, with cooler temperatures, uh, definitely we'll continue that downward trend in soils. I don't. I'm not sure how long it'll be uh, until we until we freeze soils, and we probably may have some problems, especially up in up in the Dakotas, northeast South Dakota has been wet enough. We get some real problems getting crops out of there. We may end up having to uh, uh, get soils frozen up there before they can finish up with harvest, unfortunately. So do you see a window here for a good part of the Midwest in November for fall field work? I, I, I do. Um, you know, we, we talked earlier in October that, you know, there weren't we didn't have to worry about windows because we were dry enough. Now we've had enough precipitation and we've slowed things down that that caused me a little bit of concern. It does look like things get a little quieter in the early part of November, so people should be able to to get things done. Unfortunately, we've wet soils up enough in places that we want to encourage people to to you know take a good look at their soils and make good decisions because. We're gonna. We do have some excessively wet soils, and and we don't want to, you know, compact our soils and cause additional problems that way. But there should be a window without too much additional going on, uh, putting additional soils or so putting additional uh, moisture on the soils. So there should be a, a decent window into the early part of November for people to wrap up things. Talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, I'm always amazed at some of the uh, the weather terms that are used these new names and phrases i keep hearing i'm sure not new to you but is new to me so when i started hearing about what was happening out on the west coast uh, uh atmospheric rivers uh, tell us about what was what that was all about what was you know describe that for us okay uh and again that's not that's not term that's not been around forever. Uh, I think it's about 20 years ago. There was some research that started identifying these, and what you know, just think of what a river looks like on the landscape. There's a place where you're coming across land, and then suddenly there's this flow of water along that that is a stream. Well, that's what happens out in you know along the west coast is you get this concentrated area of, of moisture. The atmosphere kind of concentrates that moisture in the atmosphere and then moves that towards land. And uh, it's, it's only been, like I said, you know, maybe 20 years ago these were identified, maybe a little bit longer. Now we're understanding them more, modeling them more, and being able to determine where and when they will happen. And this one was fairly well forecast that the models were picking up on this, and it was, you know, it was a monster event that we had out there. You know, if you looked at the at some of the uh, some of the videos I saw, forty five foot seas because of uh, out in the Pacific, but uh, you know, with, with some of the strong winds associated with the very low pressure. But that atmospheric river then is that concentration of moisture that is brought off the Pacific, and wherever that hits on land, expects to get heavy precipitation. And that focused on Northern California this time. Uh, you, if you've been hearing a lot about droughts, uh, this was a big help. It helped to, you know, probably mostly bring an end to the fire season out there. There were some flooding issues in places. Um, it, it won't fix the drought conditions, but at least it, it took steps towards helping that. So, yeah, you're going to hear about atmospheric rivers talked about. Um, you might also have heard bomb cyclone, you know, what that is. That's a rapidly deepening area of low pressure, and that's what we saw out in the Pacific. There's also one going on in the Atlantic right now, too, that was uh, producing strong winds and, and, and some coastal flooding uh, from the northeast. Yeah. Uh, so both, both sides of the country really got hit with some, uh, some weather uh, phenomena, if you will, what uh, – a nor'easter wasn't that's what they were calling it in the northeast right yep 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 that's, yeah. that's and that's a term that's been around a lot longer uh, right. that you know from from sailing times yes yeah nor'easters i had heard of atmospheric rivers i had not all right so what is <laughs> uh what's what's winter 
shaping up to be in the Midwest? What's it looking like right now? Right. Um, if, you, if you heard uh, the NOAA outlook that came out last week, everything's being based on La Nina. We're having a, a second-year La Nina. La Nina went away after last winter and then came back as we kind of expected it to. It's coming back pretty quickly and a little bit stronger than we expected it to, so the outlooks are all going to be based around what a La Nina looks like. Now, the thing we have to, we want to remind people about is there are some tendencies they're definitely not guarantees. So what is more likely to happen is uh, the southern U.S. is more likely to be warmer than average. It catches part of the Midwest early in the winter and is more likely to be drier. And then we have a slightly increased chance of colder temperatures from the Pacific Northwest into the far northern plains, along with additional precipitation up in the north, far northern plains as the winter goes along. And then there's a fairly large area of, of slightly increased chances for precipitation in the Great Lakes and Ohio Valley, and that is more focused on the latter part of the winter. So those are the things that we're watching right now. Um, we do have some concerns about that possible wet area in the eastern Corn Belt. We've wet up soils there already, and if we're wet for the winter, that could uh, cause some problems with spring planting, depending on how we get. And then uh, we also have some concerns in the central to southern plains that that area is drying out. And if it does get drier with uh, La Nina this winter, we could have some increased drought issues that could cause some problems with winter wheat. We've seen a little bit of problem with winter wheat already uh, emergence because of dryness developing in those areas. Yep, those are things to watch. And course, with the uh heating costs going up people wondering about how cold the winter is going to be and what's how expensive it could be to stay warm i i mean it's something we need to watch out but that's why the, the first part i said each one each la nina looks differently so when you average them together that's kind of what we're, we're banking on right now but there's a lot of variability so it may not necessarily uh, turn out exactly that way we'll keep watching as the winter goes along all right, we'll see how it plays out. Always good to talk with you. Thanks, Dennis. Happy to do it. You guys take care. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Up next, let's talk markets, um, rising input costs, the economy, concerns with inflation, a lot of things uh, impacting markets as we uh, head into this winter and look ahead to next year. Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst, will join us next right here on AOA. Stay with us. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products, but I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro seed treatment has over Olivo seed treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Travipro fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You are listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Widespread rains across the Corn Belt are slowing U.S. harvest. Monday's crop progress report put corn harvest at 66% complete. Wheat markets were pressured by U.S. winter wheat planting progress, which has reached 80% complete and above average wheat condition ratings in Kansas and Oklahoma. The forecast heading into early November is looking a bit drier. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading three and a half cent higher at 547, the March contract up three at 
555 and a half cent. For soybeans, the November contract up five and a fraction at 1243 and a fraction of a cent. The January contract up four and a half cent at 1252. For wheat, Chicago wheat December up three quarters at 753. Kansas City wheat December down a penny and a fraction at 776. Minneapolis spring wheat December down two and three quarters at 1019 and a half cent. The March contract up a fraction at 1002 and a half cent. The cattle complex yesterday reacted to the cattle on feed report with triple digit gains. Hogs took the opposite approach on the day with triple digit losses. In cash cattle country, asking prices are around $126 plus in the south and $201 plus in the north. A light trade took place in Texas yesterday at $124 to $125, steady to a dollar higher than last week's weighted average. Just a few scatter deals were reported in other cattle feeding areas. December live cattle trading five cents higher at 131.50, February up five at 136.42. Feeder cattle January a dollar five lower at 159.60. The November contract trading 57 cents lower at 159.20. In lean hogs, the December contract 35 cents lower at 72.22, February down 30 at 74.85. In the outside markets, the Dow is down seven. The Nasdaq Composite up 42. The S&P 500 up one. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, lots to talk about with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. Todd, thanks for joining us. Good to talk with you. I just saw this headline pop up. Uh, fuel retailers in parts of China are rationing diesel volumes to customers as the nation ramps up efforts to avert a supply crunch. What are you hearing on that? Uh, honestly, Mike, that's the first I've heard of it, but uh, I think it goes along with the overall theme that we've heard that uh, they are having an energy crisis over there. They're short on natural gas. Their uh, coal production has been somewhat constrained, and, and their ability to produce electricity has been limited by some of their pricing policies. So uh, they do have a bit of an energy mess over there as we head into winter. And uh, we've heard that that uh, caused some uh, closures at soybean crush plants. Uh, so uh, there, there's lots of moving parts to this. And uh, that being the latest uh, one we're hearing uh, probably should not be much of a shock. But it, it continues to be this big theme of uh, a lot of places uh, being short on energy as we head to winter. And when something happens in China like this, it has a ripple effect, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Now, uh, I, I think one of the benefits of an authoritarian government is that when you need to make things happen, you can. And so I think they will uh, keep their industrial uh, uh, ability uh, going as much as they possibly can. And they're going to need to, especially in the case of crushing soybeans. And from all accounts right now, the, their incentives for crushing beans are very good over there. The, the bean oil and the meal prices have firmed up lately. So uh, they, they have a green light as far as market incentives go. They just need to uh, make sure that they keep those plants running. Here in this country, we're seeing uh, a push towards renewable diesel, greater demand there. Um, what about the feedstocks? Do, 
we know there's more demand there. We're, we've seen the impact on prices for soybean oil. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, I, I think, honestly, Mike, that this whole um, uh, beatdown of the soybean meal price uh, kind of gets to the heart of what you're saying there, and I, I think it's really been overdone. I understand the popularity of the vegetable oil sector right now, and as you say, there is uh, a lot of popularity for getting more biodiesel and especially renewable biodiesel uh, going, and that should continue to be supportive to the market in the years ahead. But uh, I don't think we should forget that soybean meal has really been the one that brought us to this party, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for decades. Uh, soybean meal has really been the, the number one uh, grower of world demand for our ag products, and, and that really has not changed. Uh, people still want more protein in their diet, and China's uh, living standards are still uh, rising uh, quite aggressively every year. In fact, it's, it, we're not too far away where China's GDP is going to be very close to the U.S. So uh, I, I don't think we can just count out meal uh, because there's this new popularity for bean oil. And in fact, I think we're seeing a recognition of that uh, in today's higher price. Yeah, that's interesting. We'll be watching that. All right, so we have some wet weather, uh, this final stage of harvest kind of on hold in many places. How do the markets look at that? Uh, I think it's a bit frustrating, especially for you guys in the eastern Corn Belt, where things are much wetter uh, than they are here in the western Corn Belt. Uh, today's rally might be partial recognition of that, but I have to wonder if there's maybe some export sales rumors uh, mixed in, because we are getting a pretty aggressive rally after the market started mm -hmm. uh, lower this morning. The big concern, I think, is that are we going to see a reduction perhaps in the uh, harvest estimate for soybeans or at least in the crop quality of the beans that come out of these very wet fields? And then, uh, of course, you have to get the beans out and, and uh, have a decent uh, field condition before you can get that soft red winter wheat crop planted. And we have not seen uh, the SR wheat or Chicago wheat contract pop up yet, but uh, I'm wondering if that may eventually happen here in the next week or two. A uh, lot of discussion about input costs and availability. Uh, wondering about, you know, what gets done this fall, what happens if it, most of it gets pushed into next spring, and the uncertainty about both price. Well, I guess we know there's more certainty there. It's going to be higher. Uh, uncertainty yeah. <laughs> about availability. Uh, a lot of questions yeah. like that as we go into next year's planting season. You're right. There's a lot of scramble uh, on that, and I just uh, – heard more yesterday that really Hurricane Ida played a lot into this and we're having a hard time getting barges uh, with fertilizer up the river. So it's uh, a very difficult situation. Concerns are running high, as you can uh, imagine, uh, heading into spring. And it, it does. It, it's going to be difficult to find any uh, significant solution, I think, between now and planning time. That's the tough news of this. Uh, so uh, a lot of guys scrambling to get their supplies locked in, even at these high prices if they can. But, of course, uh, those prices just keep going higher every week. So it's a, it's a very tough situation. I'm not ready to give up on corn acres yet as a result of it. But, uh, boy, let's let's see what it looks like early next year. Hey, we're used to higher prices buying acres. Uh, higher prices might... Uh... <laughs> Uh, buy some bean acres in place of corn acres if it played out there. I mean, higher prices could influence acre decisions in a different way than usual. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, it's all a mix, and you have to look at the net bottom line. So you can have higher prices, but the higher impact costs, if that erases it, uh, that certainly doesn't help out. So uh, they're, they're going to be looking at profitability of corn versus beans. And uh, this year, obviously, it's going to be a much more complicated picture. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting story to watch. Uh, I want to, I'll go back to the export business. Of course, that, that always involves China. But uh, where, how do you feel about where we're at as far as uh, sales right now as we are about to go into November? Well, obviously, we're off to a slow start. Uh, so the uh, soybean shipments are down roughly half from where they were uh, a year ago at this time. And even the sales on the books are down roughly a third. Um, so that's a little discouraging, but as I, of course, last year was a very aggressive year from China that we're comparing to, um, but 
uh, also, uh, as we look at China's market clues as far as prices on the dalian and so forth, they still have a very uh, expensive soybean price translated to 1823 a bushel this morning. Uh, their corn price is over $10 a bushel. And uh, uh, if you put the uh, soybean products in there and look at their crush based on the January contracts, it looks like their crush incentive is very attractive right now. So if if they can keep their plants running, <laughs> uh, which which may be a bit of a challenge, uh, but there's plenty of market incentive for them to continue to be aggressive buyers. But I have to tell you that the other side of this that uh, is concerning me right now is that we're getting off to a very quick start for planting soybeans in Brazil. And so I think we're going to have a narrower window of opportunity this year to sell those beans to China because they would prefer to get them from Brazil if they could. Yeah, just the opposite of what we've just come off of, right? We had a wider window than usual. Now we might have a narrower window. Yes. Last year, uh, Brazil had a very late planning start, and it really worked uh, out well to our advantage. And, of course, it was a big boom time for China to buy last year uh, the way it was. I don't show that their demand needs are much less or less at all uh, compared to a year ago. But this year, it's much more complicated. We've got the higher shipping costs. And uh, as we've mentioned, we're going to have a a narrower window of time uh, to supply those beans. Todd, bigger picture, how concerned are you about inflation and its impact on the ag economy? Uh, you know, uh, I my history, Mike, goes back. I, I recall the inflation of the 70s very well. And, you know, I was, I guess, a geeky enough kid to be interested in markets even at that time at a young age. Uh, but uh, I do not see this in the sense of, a monetary problem that's out of control the way it was back in the 70s. Uh, I see this really largely related to the pandemic. So when you see inflation, I think we're looking at the uh, outward results of really having a messed up supply and distribution channels as a result of the pandemic. And I think that's where the heart of uh, the solution to this uh, at least in the near term, is. And, and right now, that's a very difficult uh, situation to solve, as you know, and, it, and it's affecting almost every aspect uh, of the economy. So, you know, I expect these prices to be elevated for the next three to six months easily. Uh, but I think at the real heart of this, it, it's not something the Federal Reserve can uh, solve, and, uh, you know, it's not something that a, uh, some kind of a, a bill from Congress uh, could resolve in the way of uh, more fiscal discipline is not the short-term solution in this case. It really has to do with getting our distribution channels going again, and then we can talk about the more traditional approaches. Yeah, real quick, uh, the key to watch, I think, interest rates, right? We haven't seen them jump up. That's what happened to us back in the 70s. Yes. And yes. into the 80s. And, uh Yes, and absolutely. That's a very good point. Ten-year yields are still extremely low. And, of course, uh, the Fed is still trying to be very accommodating with this economy because we're still trying to climb out from that pandemic depression and get people to work again. And, of course, we need people to work before we can do anything else. All right. All right. Good to talk with you as always, Todd. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Todd Holtman, DTN Lead Analyst. Yes. Thankfully, we've not seen those interest rates start to jump up. That Remember what happened when we got into the crisis of the 80s. So we'll watch that closely and hopefully be able to avoid that, even with inflation concerns all around us. Up next, we talk winter wheat planting. Stay with us. This is AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. 
You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer filled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, football in your favorite recliner. Some things work best in pairs. Enlist E3 soybeans from Golden Harvest are no different. Our exclusive Enlist E3 varieties have strong agronomics and disease tolerance for your conditions. Get yours from Golden Harvest today for a pairing that performs. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks displayed or otherwise used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company. Enlist E3 soybean technology is jointly developed with Dow AgroSciences LLC and MS Technologies LLC. Enlist E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences LLC. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, usually we talk with the CEO of Kansas Wheat, Justin Gilpin, during wheat harvest, but thought we'd talk with him uh, this time during wheat planting time. Hi, Justin. How are you? Hey, I'm doing real good, Mike. Good to talk to you. Getting a winter wheat planted? How, how's it going? Well, it's certainly an interesting time in the in the wheat industry. You know, we're coming off of a harvest. You, know, you and I talked about quite a bit. Uh, was per, it was a good harvest for Kansas wheat farmers. You know, Kansas did have the largest production uh, in the, in the U.S. this year at 364 million bushels, and uh, you know, the, that wheat crop was a little bit lower protein, but higher higher yields, and didn't have the challenges that some of the uh, the northern plains and the PNW had with with the drought stressed areas, um, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, so there was some optimism with how the yields went, but and with what the market's doing, uh, we saw. Uh, I think we're seeing some pretty aggressive uh, winter wheat seedings that uh, have been taking place that are probably going to wrap up uh, going into next week here, here in Kansas, Mike. What's your moisture levels like? Well, you know, we have been pretty dry. It's just been such an uh, unbelievable fall uh, harvest. Um, you know, just an open window with not not a lot of precipitation, just pretty pretty mild weather. It really allowed combines to to get the corn and the soybean crop uh, out at a, at a really rapid pace. It, and that allowed, uh, you know, tractors to be pulling drills right behind a lot of those combine, or combines in, in central Kansas. So we're, we are going to see an increase in, in winter wheat going in behind our soybean acres. Um, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, right now we're about 84% planted. And that it got into kind of dry conditions. But, boy, just last night we had a, you know, we've got a pretty wide swath of of half inch to one and a half inch rains that uh, probably going to be really welcome and a lot and mellow out a lot of those soils and help get that wheat crop germinated and and, and up and emerge. So it's probably what what a lot of that wheat was needing that uh, we're getting uh, last night and still getting some today, Mike. You and I have talked about this. There's been a lot of speculation about acres, uh, competition for acres. Where would wheat plantings be? What are your thoughts on uh, what you're seeing? Well, you know, I think every day, Mike, and I know you guys talk about it a lot and cover it on uh, on your program, but fertilizer prices and input prices are on everybody's mind right now, and what that what that might mean to um, you know more intensive management type crops like like corn, and what that might mean to, to uh, cropping rotations. And a lot of uh, producers we're talking to, you know, with the nitrogen prices being two and three times what they were seeing last year. Uh, or thinking, you know, getting wheat in the ground. Uh, wheat is a crop you can kind of, uh, in, in their terms, almost kind of spoon feed it the nitrogen a little bit, a little bit of nitrogen to get it started, maybe, uh, and we'll get it in, in the winter, get it in a dormancy. And once it comes out of dormancy, then some management decisions can be made this spring to see how that crop's looking, to see um, what they're going to do with, uh, you know, the, their spring applications and, and, and so I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing this increase in the double crop acres. I, we're probably last year we had 7.3 million acres planted in Kansas. Uh, this year we're probably going to be up about 5%, uh, closer to that 7.6, 7.7 potentially. Um, you know, so that'll, I think winter wheat acres in general in the U.S. are going to be up. I think uh, spring wheat acres are probably up. Uh, and I think uh, soybean acres will probably take a little bit of uh, uh, the corn acres just because of the, you know, the, those higher chemical, mm-hmm. chemical and fertilizer and diesel, and all input prices, which is unfortunate because we've got 10 year all time or 10 year highs in the spring wheat market and new contract highs in the winter wheat market um, and really good prices farmers are able to take advantage of hopefully uh, in this next crop, but uh, it's uh, the margins aren't going to be what you what you would hope, just because these input prices are just uh, on the forefront and, and really starting to get alarming for our our producers. And not only prices, but availability, whether or not you be able to get the the inputs you need. Well, uh, just in talking with a producer last week, he's in Northwest Kansas, and and uh, their co-op that they work with, they. Uh, they they had fertilizer on the books, and so they went ahead and opened it up for a one day, almost like a fire sale, uh, for those producers to come in and book their fertilizer needs. And 
what they ended up doing was over overselling the fertilizer that they had, so they had to go back to those producers and and let them know that they of what they booked, they were only going to be able to get uh, about seventy percent of what they had booked, uh, and then they'll have to wait till this spring to find out if they can get the other thirty percent. So you're you're exactly right. It's that availability is is causing a lot of uncertainty and, and uneasiness uh, in, in in production agriculture right now. So that's on the production side. On the demand side, uh, things. Uh, what are you seeing there? Makes you optimistic or <laughs> concerned moving well, forward? Well, I think maybe a little bit of both, Mike. Uh-huh. Right? Uh, uh, you know, um, when the, the I think that we're in a situation where you've got all you know these ten-year highs. You got spring wheat, and uh, you know over ten ten dollars and forty cents in the front month. Three-dollar premium to hard red winter wheat, and one of the reasons why markets go to these type of prices is to try to ration demand. And if you look at the export inspections the last two weeks, uh, and even our sales have been uh, somewhat on the low end of things, you you could probably make the argument that uh, that we are, have been rationing demand. But you know there is that optimism. You know with what's happening in the in the world market. You know the U.S. is at 14, 14 year low expected stocks. Uh, what's going on with uh, Russia? You know they're down thirty percent on their wheat exports last last month and the rising export tax, the U.S. exporter is anticipating uh, the world uh, wheat buyer is going to have to come to the U.S. to buy wheat uh, after the calendar year, kind of that late winter, early spring. And so we almost have this game of chicken going on right now between U.S. wheat sellers and, uh, and the world wheat buyer. And it'll be a really interesting story this year watching how the, the wheat markets play out, Mike. It really will. Justin, good to talk with you again. Thank you. Hey, good to talk to you. Hope all is well with you and your listeners, my friend. Thanks for all you do for agriculture, Mike. Thank you. Take care. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com.